Welcome to Restoration City Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed by this message. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse number 13, 1 Samuel 13 and verse number 13 and it says this have you found it and Samuel said to Saul Saul is the king of Israel it says to him you have done foolishly you have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God which he commanded you for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever but now your kingdom shall not continue the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Amen? And keep your fingers in there. Just turn me down just a little bit more, Salman. Just a little bit more. Just not too much. Just a little bit more. And whilst your fingers is there, if you can go over to Acts chapter 13. And verse number 22. I just want to remind you, verse number 14 says, The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. And then we're going to Acts chapter 13 and verse number 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart which shall fulfill all my will. I need you just to look at that. I have found David. I have found him. I have found David, the son of Jesse. And I want to just look at that, those few words after that. A man after my own heart. I really want to preach this morning from that theme. A man after my own heart. A man after my own heart. Father, we thank you for your your word. And I pray, Father, that you will speak through your word and speak into our lives. That the words that we speak will come and find good ground. Father, bring forth a harvest in our lives. In Jesus' name. 
we pray and say amen. I read for, from, for you from the book of Samuel, uh, chapter 13, and it was dealing with a king by the name of Saul who was the king over Israel. And there was, I call King, I call King Saul the people's king. Because the people had required that they wanted a king over them. And so Saul was chosen to be the king over Israel. The Bible describes him as being head and shoulders above everybody else. So we don't know exactly how tall he was, but he was a, he was a tall man. He was a handsome man. And we understand from Scripture when we, 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 we understand from Scripture when the Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God is one that looks after the, looks at the heart. And Saul was a person, though he was a king and he was popular in Israel, and he wanted to get for himself some victory, so when he had just reigned just a few years, he decided to, to make an attack against the Philistines. And whilst waiting for the prophet Samuel to come along, he waited. And after waiting seven days, and he did not see the prophet Samuel coming along, he decided that he would step outside of his office as a king. And that he would step into the priestly and the prophetic role. And so he decided that after waiting, he waited seven days. He didn't see the prophet turn up. So he decided, he said, bring me the offerings and the peace offerings are here. And that I would offer a burnt offering unto the Lord. He, so what happens in those days, if you weren't anointed to be a priest... If you weren't anointed for the prophetic order, you cannot go and just do whatever you want to do. There were certain guidelines that was there. But Saul was so arrogant, he just felt that that does not apply to me. And when you look through the life of Saul, there was a couple of things that you can see when you begin to look at his character. He was a very arrogant king to the point that even when he sinned, he was still telling Samuel to honor me in front of all the people. Instead of having a heart to repent, he was one that still was proud and arrogant. He still wanted to have that level of respect even though I have sinned and messed up. We also found with, with Saul that he was very a disobedient person. When he was told to kill everything, all the all the animals and everything, he still holds some back for himself. He felt that doing part of what God says was enough. And if you do part of what God says, you know that that ain't the whole thing. You're not living the truth. You got to do the whole thing. And, and, and more than that, what we find with, with, the, with, um, the, with Samuel was one of the things that was quite destructive about him it was that he was very stubborn and we gotta we gotta be careful as christians what we carry around inside of us 
what our character's like. He was a very stubborn man um, and a very jealous person. Um, he was so jealous of David that when David was before him, um, it, David had to literally run for his life because he would throw the javelin to try to kill David. That's how jealous he was. He had some issues. He had some issues that was going on in his life that was not resolved. And there's a danger when we allow rebellion and we allow stubbornness to be part of our character. Some people say, well, I'm just stubborn. That's just the way I am. But look at what the scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Um, this is where the Lord says to Samuel, has the Lord... Has the Lord a great delight in the burnt offerings and sacrifices? That's why Samuel, what Saul had done, he had offered those burnt offerings and sacrifices. And he says, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, so he was saying, in you offering these burnt offerings and these sacrifices, I'd rather you were obedient to my word than you offering these sacrifices. And then he says this to him. It says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's what he was saying to Saul. If you had obeyed me, it was more valuable than you offering sacrifices to me. Obedience is the gateway for the blessings, amen? And then he verse 23 says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected from you being king. So none of us want to be associated with people who dabbles in witchcraft. That's not our, 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 our thing. We don't want to be associated with people who blatantly are involved in witchcraft. But the Bible is saying here that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And, and when you're a, a, a person who's stubborn, then it's like iniquity and idolatry. That's what he was saying. So in Saul's character, there was a problem in Saul's character. And so the prophet Samuel, when Samuel came along, the prophet Samuel had to address this and say to, to, to Saul, what you have done You've done foolishly. You wasn't thinking about what you've done. What you've done in making these offerings and sacrifices when you are not anointed for this office. This is not your remit. You've stepped out of your, your remit. What you have done is foolish. And you have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you this day. For the Lord would have established your kingdom of Israel forever. He would have done this. But there's an issue with your heart. And we as believers, we've got to be careful what stuff we, as I said, what, what, what's in our hearts. We've got to be careful how jealous we are of people. We've got to be, we've got to be careful how stubborn we are. We've got, we got to be careful what kind, that we are not rebellious people, amen? I know it's not in this house because we're all angels in this house. We don't, we don't mess up like that. 
We all good people in this house. But the Lord says to, to Samuel says to Saul, but now your kingdom is coming to an end. Your kingdom shall not continue. And here's where I want the, 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 the sermon to really be. Is the Lord has sought for himself a man. God is looking for a man. And he's not looking for any kind of man. He's looking for man after my own heart. I'm looking for man. Now in scripture you might have read that of Abraham. Abraham was known as a friend of God. That's a serious position to be in. You are known. This is Abraham. He's a friend of God's. I mean, that, if that, that don't open doors for you. I don't know what else can. That's a serious position. You are known as a friend of God. But when I done my research, I, did, I could not find another reference of anyone else having this testimony that you are a man after God's heart. That is something that has to be aspired to. I hear Abraham being a friend of God. Now, it's, it's great because, you know, we all, try, for, for me, I try to be a, a good husband. I want my testimony, my reputation to be, I'm a good husband. And my wife can testify to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Just in time, just in time. Good thing we rehearsed this here. We rehearsed this. But that's what I try to be. I try to be a good husband. I try to be a good father. My kids, my children can testify to that. Marika just looked at me. Thanks, Marika, man. I try, I try, I not here. You have to represent as well, Marika. Come on. I try to be the best I can in regards to my, my responsibility as a father and as a husband. I try to do the best I can. But what a testimony. When God says, I'm looking for someone. I'm not even looking, I'm not even looking for a great husband. I'm not looking for a great father. What I'm looking for is for I'm looking for someone. The Lord Himself has sought out, sorry, the Lord has, has sought for himself a man after his own heart. In other words, God is saying, I'm looking for someone who has my heart. Not just a good father, not just a good pastor. Not just a, I'm looking for someone who has my heart. That's a whole complete different thing. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what I'm aspiring to. That's, if I was trying to aspire to be something or be someone or do something, that right there is right where I would love to be. Where God says, I'm looking for someone who has a man after my own heart. And when I say man, it could be man or woman. Amen? And so when we go to the book of Acts, it says when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be king. So after Saul, David becomes king. And the Bible says, to whom he gave testimony and said, 
Where before I was looking for someone, now the Lord said, I found a person. So you think between the time of David, so the time of Saul, time of David, where he's looking and he's saying, during this period of time, I found who I'm looking for. I found me someone. There's many good people, many great people, many people who have aspired, who's done great things. But the Lord says, I have found someone. And he says, I have found David, the son of Jesse. This man, David, this guy, David, is one after my own heart. And so I want to look at that today. How do you become a man after God's own heart? And the Bible says, which shall fulfill all of my will. Someone say, Amen. A, a man after my own heart. That is just something that is just so powerful to, to find where God says, I found, and you can put your name there. But what does it take? To be a person after God's own heart. What, what kind of character? I, I was looking at this and examining this this week because it kind of took a twist and a turn. I had something else prepared. But when I was studying this, and I, was, I, I had to ask myself the question, what is it about David that made David so special that he's the only one in Scripture that I can read of to say, He's a man after God's heart. Apart from Jesus, who else is there that we can say is a man after God's own heart? I mean, what do you need to do to have that kind of testimony to be a man after God's own heart? And so I began to look in the, in the scripture and I remember when David was appointed as king and David had to go he was sent to go and see his brothers <laughs> and his father sent him and says go and see your, your brothers and he goes to the field and he hears Goliath just spouting off just going on, going on. And when you're the youngest, like I'm the youngest in my family, yeah, you wouldn't believe it, but I am. I'm the youngest in my family. So I've got older brothers. And the thing up there's something about certain advantages when you're the younger one. Because you always let your bigger brothers go first. If anyone's, if I'm in any kind of trouble, you put the bigger brothers first. You deal with, because you know your older brothers are going to defend you. Your older brothers are always going to look after you. So whatever mess I get in, I know I can get out somehow. Because I've got older brothers who's going to bail me out somehow. So, so David has the protection. And he has that kind of support system that's there. That if there's some problems, I know my older brothers got this. And so when he, co he comes and he hears Goliath going on and going on. And something, this, something just rises up in David. Because David said, listen, I killed a bear. 
I killed a lion. But I cannot allow someone to defile the armies of the Lord. Something was, it wasn't about himself, but it was something about the reputation of Israel. I cannot allow someone to speak against the reputation of the God of Israel. And so therefore, go get, let, let me be the one. My brothers really should be the one. But let me go and defend this. Because part of David's character wasn't about himself. Because when I looked at this, David didn't, he did mess up a few times. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. But what made him the person that God says, he's after my heart. But David, you weren't perfect. So how could you be a man after God's own heart when you ain't perfect? But when I began to just look at David, what David done from the very onset of being anointed was defend the reputation of God of the God of Israel and was willing to put his life on the line to protect the reputation of Israel. So there's some things that I want to just deal with today because it's, it's such a, if somebody says that were your good father, I would say that's really nice. Thank you. If they say I'm a good husband, I would say thank you. But what a compliment. If somebody was to say about your life, when somebody mentions you and your name comes up in conversation, if somebody was to mention Sister Tuvia and, and, and alongside with Sister Tuvia's name, you say she's a woman. There's no question about it. She's a woman after God's heart. What makes Tuvia Tuvia is because it's her pursuit of God. What makes Leslie Leslie is the pursuit that you have for God. What makes us who we are is how much we pursue the heart of God to the point where God is so pleased with us. He says, that's a person after my own heart. And I know that people's going to say, yeah, but, but hang on a second, you can't say that because... He's messed up and she's done that and she's done that. But in spite of everything that has happened, this person still keeps coming after my heart. So there's something about possessing the right attitude and the right mindset that I really believe that we should consider. And so one of the things, I, I, I'm going to turn to a couple of scriptures, so just bear with me just a few sec few minutes. So if you go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm going to put two scriptures together. Because when... The previous chapter is that the ark had been taken away from Israel. And the ark has been making a journey around. Finally, when David becomes king, he sorts after the ark to come back to Jerusalem. 
back to his homeland. And in the ark coming back, David, in the journey for the ark to return back to, to Israel, every seven steps, David decides to make a sacrifice unto the Lord for the journey of the ark. Now I need you to think about this. Because every seven steps and you make a sacrifice is enough to bankrupt his whole entire kingdom. But he was willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to bring that ark back and to offer worship to God. He was willing to do it. Even at the expense of himself. Because some of us, we want God to, we want to do things and we want God to move. But we don't make no sacrifice. We, there's no sacrifice. David was willing to do whatever he had to do to get the ark back into Jerusalem. And to make that sacrifice to the point where it hurts. When you make a sacrifice unto God, it's got to hurt you. You got to wake up in the morning and think, what the heavens did I do? It, you got to feel it. And David, he made such a sacrifice that he, it was felt. And when the ark came back, this is how happy he was. When the ark came back to Jerusalem, man, he, David got into some kind of a dancing. I mean, he got into some kind of a dancing that his wife looked at him and, and it's like, David, don't you embarrass yourself? Don't you know you're the king? You can't dance like that. But he was so overwhelmed with the fact that the ark had come back into Jerusalem. It was, that's what made him happy, was to see the ark, which represents the presence of God, back into where it's supposed to be. Something is supposed to excite us about having the presence of God in the midst of us. If you're talking about a man after God's own heart, is a man who wants to see the presence of God right into the center of the church. That's what makes you excited. That's what makes you happy. What makes you happy is when the presence of God is felt among us. That's what makes us happy. And so when David saw that he backed off his, his garment, he danced and he danced. That's why we can sing the song, he danced before the Lord. When the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, I will dance like David danced. Because he, he's dancing. You've got to understand, God's watching this and saying, that's a man after my heart. Because he's so excited about the presence of God. You know that there's some people are not excited about his presence anymore? That they don't, they don't care whether his presence is in the church or not in the church. It's just, they just lost the passion for his presence. Or there's, sometimes there's some people who are so used to, it's kind of, I'm so used to it, that whether he's here or he's not here, he don't make no blind bits of difference. But there's you and me who has this passion. When we come to church, we want the presence of God. We want God to be felt in this place. It's great when we see people turn up. It's great when I see people turn up. But what excites us the most is when God's presence is here. Amen. Amen. 
It's about his presence. Being excited about the presence of God. That you come running to the house because his presence is going to be here. Glory to God. You come running. You can't wait to get into the house of God. Why? Because his presence is here. But we get more excited. It's sad when we get more excited about people than we are about God. We get more excited. If I was to say a celebrity person was going to be here, the place would be packed and we couldn't even get through the doors. But a man after God's heart is different. When you're a person after God's heart, God becomes the focus of your attention. You become more passionate about God than anyone else. You do not worship anyone louder than you can worship God. He's the he's object of your worship. He's the focus of your worship. He's a person that excites you. Just the mention of his name. The mention of his name. We worship. His name. Just his name. A man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. So here picture this. So, King David, in verse chapter 7, it says, Now it came to pass, when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around. That is powerful. That was powerful. That, that there can preach. That you're in such a position that none of the enemies want to trouble you. I mean, seriously, considering Israel has always been under attack, under attack, under attack, to the point now where they're in a place where David is dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around. It's just that it's beautiful to be in a place of peace, I'm not in war. I'm not in turmoil. I'm not fighting, fighting. There's just a place of peace where my enemies just have to back up for a little while. Give me some rest. Beautiful place to be in. And when you're in a place like that, you become reflective. You start to reflect. Because when you're in warfare all the time, you're just in fighting mode. You're fighting, fighting, fighting. But when you get a time to rest... It gives you a time to reflect, to build up the bigger picture. Are you still here? And that the king said to Nathan the prophet, he says, Nathan is, is the prophet, and David says to him, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tents or inside tent curtains. He's relaxing and he's looking around. I'm talking about a man after God's own heart. I'm talking about a man after God's own heart. I'm talking about a man after God's own heart. He sits in his home and he looks at his cedar paneled house and it's pretty nice he's a king king should look good 
But he looks at his house and then he thinks about the house of God. I'm talking about a man after God's own heart. Because not a lot of people think like this. That's why we don't, I don't call people after God's own heart. He looks at how plush his house is. How beautiful his house is. See the paneled house. And he looks at that and he looks at the ark. And he sees God's ark is in tents of curtain. And he's sitting in his cedar palace house. And Nathan the prophet says to him, then Nathan the king says, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. My God, this is good preaching. David, go and do all what's in your heart, man. What's in your heart? Because David wasn't concerned about himself. It was what was in his heart. And the prophet Nathan can see that you're just not a standard person. You're just not an, an ordinary king. There's something deeper. Something drives you deeper that drives that I don't see in anybody else. So Nathan the prophet says, go and do all that's in your heart, David. What's in your heart? Go for it. For the Lord is with you. Go for it. Because David, what was in David's heart, let's read on. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan. So the Lord began to speak to Nathan the prophet and said, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I was brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even unto this day. But I've moved in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places I have walked with the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel who are commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the shepherd fold, from following sheep to be rulers over me. And he begins to go through and say to David, David, I appreciate what's in your heart, but you're a man who shed blood. Your hands have shed blood. And so therefore building this temple for me, I can't have someone whose hands have shed blood. But David doesn't care. What he's interested in is, is God's house still has to be built. I just want you to go to Psalms 132, because I, I, I want you to understand a man after God's own heart. What does that look like? So here's David's heart. So David begins to pray this prayer. So he wants to build this place for God. He wants to build his temple for God. And Nathan is saying, David, all that's in your heart, go for it. But look at David's prayer. David says this, Lord, remember David and all my afflictions. Remember all the stuff I've gone through. Remember how people try to kill me. People talk about me. You know, you know when we have our afflictions. You know when we go through our own personal stuff. And he said, Lord, remember all my stuff. Lord, remember David and all my afflictions. 
But I want you to remember one thing. It says, how he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Israel. I need to help you to understand. Because if you really want God's attention, don't just talk. If you want God's attention, because a lot of us can talk a lot of stuff. If you really want God's attention, you come into a vow and a covenant with him. And then you will have God's attention. Because for a lot of us, we talk. But for me, when I want to step things to the next level, I come into covenant. I make a vow unto the Lord. And when you make a vow unto the Lord, you got to make sure you fulfill your vows. Because just like Samuel, um, um, Hannah... Hannah came to the temple every, the same time every year. The same time every year. She couldn't have children. She wanted the children. She came every year. But what makes a difference that year was she made a covenant. When she made a covenant unto the Lord, she cut covenant and said, Lord, if you give me a child, I will give him back to you. The Lord says, now, we, now you're talking. Because you've been coming here every year complaining and just, you ain't got no children, you ain't got no children. You've been saying the same thing every year. But this year, you cut the covenant. You made a vow. And when you make a vow to God, his hands are stretched. You see, we're like, that's a businessman. You see, the minute you make a covenant, his hands are stretched. Let's shake on this. Because I got you on this. You make a covenant, we got you on this. And that's what was happening here. That David, he was serious. He swore unto the Lord and he vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. In other words, I'm serious about this thing. You want to know a man after God's own heart? This is right here. You want to know what a man after God's own heart looks like? He says, remember my affliction. Part of my affliction, part of what's burning inside of me, to the point where I'm willing to, to come into covenant. I'm willing to make a vow to the mighty God of Israel. Here is my vow. Here is my covenant that says, God, I'm serious about you. I'm serious about the things of, of your kingdom. Listen to what he says. David says this. He's a king. Understand. He's a king. And listen to what the king says. He says, surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house. You see that house that was made of cedar? You see how beautiful his house was? This was David, a man after God's own heart. He says, surely I will not go into the tabernacle of my house. I'm not going to go to my bed. I am not going to give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord. My God, that's serious. That is serious. David said, I'm not going to go home. I refuse to go home. I refuse to go into the comfort of my home. I refuse to go to the comfort of my bed. I refuse to give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids. I refuse the comforts of everything around me until I find a place for God, the habitation for the mighty God of Israel. I'm not going to stop until I find a place for God. What, how many of us has that kind of determination that says I'm not going to stop 
until I find a place for God. Until God is number one in my life, I'm not going to stop. Until I'm driven by the purposes of God, I'm not going to stop. Until I am consumed with the passion and the power of God, I cannot stop. Oh, it's quiet in here. I'm talking about a man after God's own heart. A king who could easily say, I've got everything I need to my comfort. But Brother Keith Cleveland, David weren't interested. What drove David was the house of God. What drove David was there's got to be a place where the people come and worship God. That's what drives you this morning. What is driving you? Is the presence of God, is, is being in his presence the thing that drives you? Well, my question is, how do I get to that place where I'm driven by the purposes of God? How do I get to that place? What things do I need to do to get to that place where I am pursuing the heart of God? That God can say, this is a man after my own heart. So there's some disciplines. It doesn't just happen. There's some disciplines you've got to put in place. There's some disciplines you've got to put in place. At the age of nine, I got baptized at the age of nine. They told me that I wasn't allowed to be baptized because they said I was too young. That's what they said. They said, you cannot be baptized. I'm too young. When I was in children's school, the children's um, ministry, we used to call it Sunday school, I was studying my Bible at the age of nine that they could not put me in Sunday school. You hear what I'm saying? They couldn't put me in Sunday school. They had to put, they had to make an exception. Because they said, we have to put Delroy in with, because we had the teenagers, the, the, the um, youth, young, young people's ministry. And they said, we had to take Delroy out of Sunday school and put him in the young people's ministry. Because in Sunday school, I knew every answer. And it just got to a point where it's annoying. It, it is annoying. Because I, I have to know my golden texts. I, I, I knew my golden text. I could memorize verses. I can, I can explain. So they said, take him out and put him in to the youth ministry. So at the age of nine, I got baptized. I, I didn't tell anyone I was going to be baptized. I got my, my, my swimming ching, my, all my stuff, put it in a little plastic bag. And we used to have the baptism at um, Thornton Heath swimming pools. And so we didn't have cars to get us up and down where we needed to. So it was a bus. I think it was the 109 or one of them buses. So what I'd done, my mum left us the bus fare. She's gone. So I packed all my things, put it in a bag. And my sister's called, come on now, let's go, let's go. We run, we got out, and then we jumped on the bus at the top of mum's road. And the bus takes us to Thornton Heath swimming pool. And in those days, they had cut, um, like cubby holes, I was going to say. But they had like little cubicles, that's the one. They had different cubicles. 
And so what I done, I stood by one and I was like, okay, this one's empty. So they will sing some choruses and sing some choruses and then they will say, okay, those candidates who are due to be baptized, go and get yourself prepared and go and get ready. Well, I just slipped behind the door, slipped behind the door and got dressed and I come out ready for baptism. And of course, because I didn't tell my mom, I didn't tell anybody, it weren't funny because I'm already lined up. There is water, what hinders me from being baptized? Apart from the strap, but I just wanted to be baptized. I just, I, I'm, I'm young, but I wanted to be baptized. As far as I'm concerned, I knew what the presence of the Lord was from five, six years old. So I wanted to be baptized. And in those times, they will say you had to give a testimony. So when you're going down in the pool, they, your testimonies, they'll say, tell us why you want to be baptized. And then I gave an explanation why I wanted to be baptized. And so they'll say, on the confession of your faith and the word of your testimony, then they baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so part of my commitment, what I said was that I will serve the Lord for the rest of my life. That's what I said at the age of nine. I'm going to serve the Lord for the rest of my life. Now, as time went on, I made a covenant to God that I will serve in his house whatever capacity. I was, oh Lord, I thank you. That I will serve. I will serve in God's house. I don't, I don't care what it is. And I remember each year, thank you, Father. Each year, our chief, I'm sorry, I have to put this on. I'm burning up a little bit here, sorry. Our chief apostle from America would come over and they would, we had um, ordination services. So the missionaries, the evangelists, we used to have exalters. So you had like an exalter, then you became a minister, and then it was like an elder or pastor or whatever. So we would have the ordination services. Well, they said to me um, that I should get myself ready because I'm going to be ordained. But they didn't tell me to what? They didn't say what? All I said is, I must get ready. And sometimes... They didn't tell you until they called you up. Because what would happen is the pastor, which was my brother, he would monitor you for the whole year. So if he wanted to, say, make Sister Leslie an evangelist, he wouldn't tell her. He will watch for the whole year. He will watch. And what would happen is it is recorded, Lord have mercy. I just want you to understand. It was recorded how many times... Sister Leslie came to church for that year. It was recorded how many times we was called, how many times present. And the timekeeping. And the time. And what time that person came to church. Because if you're going to be in, the, in a, an office of a pulpit in ministry, you've got to have the right character. And what they will do is find out how other people, how Sister Leslie reacts with other people. So Sister Leslie don't even know what's going on. 
And they will ask Sister Tuvia, Sister Tuvia, what do you think about our Sister Leslie? Do you think that she's a person who would be qualified for ordination? And they will talk and they will see what kind of attitude you have, how you get on with people, your character. You all know you're all hearing me. Just because you could, because in our days, just because you can preach didn't mean nothing, because everybody can preach. It was a shame, listen to me, it was a shame if you sat in church under good leader and none of you can preach. It's a shame and disgrace. A preacher, a pastor should be able to point to anybody and you should have one message. You cannot be in a church, sit in a church and cannot preach one sermon and string two sentences together. It is an indictment against the leader. You, are you hearing me? That a leader prepares every single week and you come to church 52 times a year and you hear good preaching for 52 times in a whole year and you can't string together a 20-minute sermon. It's a disgrace. So in and how we were raised, every single person, they may not say, could you preach? But without notice, they would just say, um, Sister um, Shen, could you give an exaltation? That's what it was called. An exaltation and exalt the church. And what betide you if you couldn't string that together? You was not given a week's notice. Oh, um, let me pull together my text and let me work on... No, no, no. You better have the word inside of you. If you can't... Because they will be asking, for the whole week, what scriptures have you been reading for the whole week? I mean, you've been reading your Bible the whole week. What did the scripture say? I mean, you must meditate on the word day and night. So what does the word say? And if you come up in, well, I don't know what it's... Oh, no, you, that ain't going to happen, baby. That is not going to happen. You can't string two sentences together. That, that ain't going to happen. So I was raised up, everybody can preach. So being able to preach was no big thing. But it was what your character was like. It was what your character was like. Are you, are you still here? And so I'm just giving my testimony. Then I'm out of here. So here was me. Uh, I couldn't. They couldn't keep me in Sunday school. They put me in youth ministry. And I was dusting that up. Because my, the people around me, my sisters, my brother, they know the Bible good. Because mom done Bible studies with us, we done Bible quiz, we weren't allowed to run street. You, you want to run street, my mom, go read Bible. Yeah, but mom, my friends were outside, I want to go skateboarding, go read the Bible. You know, that's how we was raised, read the Bible, but read the Bible for everything. But I've got homework, I read the Bible. Anyway, <laughs> just, that's how we was raised, seriously. So we, we knew the scriptures. So when it came to this ordination now, I don't know, so when they came, the apostle called me and and I don't know what I'm going to be ordained to. But he anointed me with oil. In the sacred. I had my brothers who were better than me. Everybody else was better than me. So I was not first option. But here was my job. Which I was anointed to do. That when service is finished. Pack up the chairs. When service is finished. Conventions finished. You clear up the rubbish. You bag them. And then we had to take the rubbish up to the top. Are you hearing me? That's called serving in the house of God. Then part of my honor, 
part of the honor that I have is waiting for the pastor or the apostle to come into the car park with their car. Because when they come, I run. And I'm the one who opens the door for the pastor to come out. Or for the apostles to come out. That was my role. That was my honor. And so when they come, we, 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 we I've, I've got rucksack back, but those days we used to have the, the briefcase. Oh, the briefcase. And so it was my honor to take the briefcase from the pastor or the apostle and their coat and escort the apostle or the pastor into the church. And we used to have the vestry will be on the right-hand side. So I'd go in there and, and put the, the bag and the coat down. And I will stand outside the vestry so that the pastor or the apostle could get ready. Especially when it was convention time and we had, and the apostles was over. And I would stand outside the vestry and sometimes I would just sit like where Sister Shaz is sitting. I would sit and the vestry door is there. So I'm right there. And I'll be there sitting there and I'm praying for the pastor who's inside. Because he's going to come and deliver a word. And I'm his armor bearer. So I'm praying that God, deliver a word tonight for us. Give us a word. And I'll be praying. And sometimes I would take him out and then he would go to the bathroom. Then I'll come back. And then when he's ready, I go and I'll take his Bible. Oh my God. You see, you don't hear me. And I'll have his Bible. And then I thought, because we was never allowed to walk in front of the church. Was never allowed. So I had to take his Bible and escort him round. You go round the back. And you escort him to his seat. And then you put the Bible. And when it's time to preach, then you take the Bible. And then he will go up to the lectern. And then my job was to put the Bible in front of him. And to make sure he has a flannel and water. I'm going somewhere. That was my role. And I saw it. I deem it as an honor. Because in those days, to carry... The preacher's Bible. Oh my God, to carry the preacher's... This is the Bible that they studied with. The honor of carrying that. I can't tell you what that was like. But my role is... This is my... Because you need to understand my covenant. It's to serve the house of God for the rest of my life. We pray you're encouraged with the word of God. For more information about Restoration City Church, please visit us at www.restorationcc.org.uk.